Hello, and welcome to the Nutrition and Life Podcast. This is where we look at various nutrition and fitness-related topics through the lens of application. We want to give you practical takeaways so that you can create your healthiest, best self backed by knowledge. Now, on to the episode with your host, Coach Lisa. Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Nutrition and Life podcast. My name is Lisa, I'm your host, and in today's episode I want to talk about supplements you should be taking and which ones are actually a waste of your money. Firstly though, welcome. If you are new to the show, please do me a favor, subscribe, rate the show, review it, share it on your social media if you enjoy my content. If you are a returning listener, of course, welcome back. I want to address this topic of supplements today because I get asked about it a lot. Usually the first question is, do I really need supplements or can I get all my micronutrients, etc. from food? Hypothetically, the answer is yes, you can. However, can you reach optimal levels? Can you reach those optimal levels in this modern day environment and with your modern day lifestyle? This is the other question. For example, Are you really eating fatty fish at least two to three times per week? Are you really eating high quality red meat or another source of vitamin B and iron two to three times per week? Do you consume dairy or another calcium source in high enough quantities on a daily basis to prevent osteoporosis? Do you eat spinach or other leafy greens on a daily basis to get your magnesium in? especially if you're an active active person, and so on. The truth is that most people will not be able to say yes to this. And the other thing to consider is that not everybody absorbs the micronutrients in the food that they're eating that well, for example, if affected by birth control or just other conditions as well. So I do want to preface this that I am not a medical professional and getting blood work done is always the best way to kind of assess what you should probably be taking. Tracking food can, however, help. Um, It also very much depends on your tracking app. Unfortunately, my fitness pal, which is what I use, doesn't show all the micronutrients. It does show... um, I think six different ones. There are certain tracking apps that don't show anything at all. And then there are other ones, I believe Chronometer is one of them, that is really quite detailed when it comes to the micronutrient contents of the food that you're logging. So it certainly can be a way to start, at least with some of the major micronutrients. Another thing I want to say in prefacing this is that I personally... I'm not a fan of combination supplements. I know many people, they like to just take a multivitamin and think that everything is covered. Unfortunately, in my opinion, micronutrients, multivitamins, rather, excuse me, um, are often a little bit of a waste of money because they cover everything a teeny tiny bit, but the things that you're actually deficient in, they don't have the high enough dosage in. So I, for one like to base my recommendations on, of course, 80 to 90 percent whole foods, which includes a lot of different plants and um, good quality protein sources, etc., to already create a base and then assessing where you're at. Most of the time, most people with their own nutrition are going to be able to cover vitamin C very easily. So this is another one that usually surprises me or that people take as a second um, most frequent supplement. 
after multivitamins would be vitamin C when I think, okay, that is actually super, super easy to get on a daily basis to just increase your citrus intake and eat half a bell pepper every day um, or make sure you're getting in some broccoli, some potatoes with their skin on, etc. So it doesn't mean that I don't think vitamin C is not important. On the contrary, especially if you tend to get sick often or if you're exposed to sickness often, this is very, very important. Um, however, I just think it's easy and cheap to get that through food in and your money is likely spent better other ways. So the first supplement that I do think almost everybody is going to benefit from would be creatine monohydrate. This is a researched very very well and is showing that it does not just have benefits for optimizing performance recovery muscle growth etc but there is more and more research emerging that it is also so beneficial for cognitive function so cognitive degenerative diseases such as alzheimer's dementia etc they are incredibly common in our societies and i think we all of us should do everything that we can to prevent the onset of that because um i can imagine it is no it is not pleasant um to feel experience that yourself or even with your loved ones so this would be my number one recommendation for everybody usual recommendations go somewhere between three to five grams per person depending on your body weight sometimes a little bit higher if you're a larger male individual for example but three to five grams should be sufficient for someone on a daily basis it has also been debunked that you don't actually need to um, load it and cycle off and on uh, on and off of it you can take it on a continuous basis the loading phase initially that was always just to kind of saturate the muscle cell and of course, yes, it will happen quicker, but if you do go through a loading phase, then usually you also experience a little bit more digestive discomfort because that is one of the possible negative side effects of creatine that you might feel a little bit bloated. However, aside from that, re research clearly shows that it is super, super safe to take and there are no real known negative um, effects of creatine monohydrate aside from um, possible bloating and somewhat easy way to see if a brand is uh, of high quality would be to look out for the Crea Pure label um, this is sort of a certification agency I'm going to call it that just signifies that the product would be of highest quality there are other kinds of creatine but um, they have not been researched as well and in terms of cost etc they really don't um, are they're really not at the same level as, as creatine monohydrate in terms of when to take it it actually really doesn't matter as long as you take it consistently i would put it in a place where you're taking perhaps your other um, supplements or maybe even mixing it in with your protein shake there's teeny 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 tiny research showing that it might be a little bit more beneficial having it post-workout uh, ideally with a carb source but I wouldn't pay that much attention to it and overthink it just put it in a place where you can consume it on a daily basis um, regularly and you're not going to forget about it the next supplement I want to touch on is omega-3 you probably saw that one coming it is another one which is not just beneficial for recovery due to its anti-inflammatory effects but 
it is also um, very positive or has also very positive effects on brain development in fetuses, but also in um, cognitive function for the elderly, for children, etc. So there's even research coming out with adolescents where it's most likely safe. I don't want to give any recommendations in that regard, but for adults, um, omega-3 is really probably the second best supplement that you can take, um, especially if you don't consume fatty fish on a regular basis. And here with the omega-3, we do want to be mindful that the omega-3 we're consuming is of highest quality and is... DHA and EPA. So that's the name of the fatty acids. There is another common plant-based omega-3, which is called ALA. So sometimes poor quality algae supplements will mostly just supply that. And we want to stay away from that because in the end, we want to consume about at least one to two, maybe even three grams of EPA and DHA combined in a day. And if you consume ALA, it first needs to get converted to DHA and EPA before the body can use it for those positive anti-inflammatory effects. So meaning if you, if you consume about one gram of ALA, you're only going to really receive about 200 milligrams. So that especially... If it's, you know, a fatty oil or whatever, a fat source, you would have to take a large quantity to get the same effect. So look for a DHA and EPA product. Some people take the two, take two separate ones. You can get just DHA and just EPA. I personally think a combination supplement is absolutely fine. In this case, um, you want to make sure that you're checking out the label, that it is of high quality, that it, the EPA and DHA content is at least 70% of the total omega-3. Um, so meaning when you look at the nutrition label and it says, says 1000 milligrams of omega-3, you want to look below that where the breakdown of DHA and EPA is given. And if it's, let's say, 300 grams of DHA and 500 grams of EPA, that would, uh, milligrams, sorry, that would be 800 milligrams of DHA and EPA combined. So 80% of the total omega-3 content, um, that would be a good quality product and you should take two servings of that since it's below the one to three grams recommended. Of course, we can get it through um, whole food sources. So if you are able to eat fatty fish on a daily basis, that is even better. I forgot to mention with creatine, also your body does produce creatine on its own, and we can we also consume creatine mostly from um, meat and fish. So yeah, meat is probably the biggest suppliant, um, or animal protein anyway. However, the additional creatine monohydrate through supplementation in this case is really really beneficial. So unlike the omega three, where I would say okay, if you really eat fatty fish on a daily basis, you're probably good. You don't need to add any more. With the creatine, I would err on the side of caution again this is just my personal opinion and I would still take the creatine monohydrate even if you are consuming a high protein diet the next thing that also almost everybody can benefit from in my opinion would be supplementing with magnesium now if you're getting quite a bit of magnesium through let's say kale or other dark leafy greens and so on that's already great but almost 
anybody who's physically active who also trains will still benefit from supplementing a little bit extra, especially if they struggle with sleep, if they struggle or want to optimize their recovery. Um, there are various different kinds of magnesium. The most common ones for sleep would be magnesium threonate, magnesium bisglycinate. There, the magnesium which is most recommended for recovery would be magnesium malate, and then magnesium citrate is rather common also a because it's probably the cheapest and b because it does help with digestion in this instance also sometimes you can find great quality combination supplements where they actually have a little bit of a mixture of all of them um, otherwise i would simply recommend choosing the kind which you want to optimize the most so meaning if you're someone who struggles with sleep go for a threonate or a bisglycinate if you're someone who's really wanting to optimize recovery, go for a malate. I do have a blog up on our website about the different kinds of magnesium. So I'm going to put that in the show notes so you can check out which ones in particular could be good for you. But in most cases, on average, um, 300 to 500 milligrams of probably bisglycinate or threonate um, to help with sleep in the evening could be good, could help um, you relax better and just in general ensure good neurological firing. Magnesium is actually also something that a lot of people have been depleted of if they are on the hormonal birth control simply because it doesn't get absorbed that well. So that's another thing. Or if you're struggling with your menstrual cycle in general and you have a lot of cramps, etc., I would also very much recommend being consistent with your magnesium supplementation. Now, the fourth one, as we go down this list, uh, it is, I would say, less and less likely that people need it. However, vitamin D, which is the next one up on our list, um, is still very, very much needed in most of our societies. So many people are vitamin D deficient. A, because we have uh, we work inside more. B, we make less of an effort to go outside. C, we cover up. We are instructed to put on sunblock all the time, etc. So we're actually really not getting a whole lot of vitamin D all in all. It, this is going to depend a lot on your lifestyle and where you live. Um, of course, someone living near the equator is going to have very different needs to somebody who lives in the north of um, Canada or Norway. So here I would really recommend testing. On average though, from what I have seen, most people do benefit from supplementing about 2,000 to 500 internet, 5,000, sorry, 2,000 to 5,000 international units per day. Again, very much depending also what time of the year it is, etc. Um, most doctors or old school doctors just have the old school recommendation of about a thousand international units per day. Um, I would personally err on the higher side. Um, and there has been research with as high as 10,000 international units per day where they really didn't find any negative effects of that high supplementation. So this is going to be so, so beneficial for your hormone health, for your bones, for your teeth, also for your muscles. And you might have heard that consuming, yes, we can get a tiny bit of vitamin D through our diet, but chances are incredibly low that you get sufficient just through that. I mean, there's a little bit in like your egg yolks, there is some fortified um, foods as well, but generally speaking, you're going to benefit 
most likely from supplementing with this. And you probably have heard that vitamin D should be consumed with vitamin K. And whether you purchase a supplement that specifically states vitamin D and vitamin K or whether you just simply want to make sure that you are getting um, some leafy greens, some meat, kiwi fruit or avocado, which are all good sources of vitamin K. Um, that's obviously up to you. I do think vitamin K is reasonably easy to get through food as well. I would recommend taking vitamin D in the morning with food. It is a, a it is technically actually a hormone and not a, um, a vitamin, <laughs> despite the name. And nonetheless, it's going to be best absorbed with something fatty in it. And so therefore consuming it with a meal in the morning would be great. Just also because we, in order to optimize sleep and so on, we want to stimulate as if you were getting that vitamin D through actual sunlight in the morning rather than the night. Calcium is another one which I would put up on that list. It is actually also easy to get through food if you consume dairy products. However, many people just say they are not getting it on a regular basis and particularly women do want to err on the higher side of caution just because we are more prone to osteoporosis. So unless you really can say, okay, I'm eating a cup of low-fat Greek yogurt every single day and maybe a couple of pieces of string cheese or whatever, um, that should cover my calcium basis. If you hardly ever or once or twice a week have dairy products, then I would very much recommend tracking that for a little while and just seeing um, where your calcium levels are at. Uh, it is The minimum recommendation would be 1,000 milligrams per day, so one gram. But uh, yes, I would I would like to see you err above that in the sense of preventing osteoporosis. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. The next one on my list, these are, again, less, less likely ones, but the next one on my list here would be iron and vitamin B. Um, again, if you are more on a plant-based sort of diet or very, very rarely consuming red meat, you may want to look into that or make a very um, precise effort to hit those two, which iron in particular can definitely be hit on a plant-based diet if you consume the right amount of legumes, beans, tofu, etc. You should be good there. Vitamin B, vitamin B12 in particular does need to be supplemented on a vegan diet. Um, if you're a vegetarian, you can still get that somewhat, but I have encountered that a lot of people that even don't consider themselves vegan or vegetarian, they just hardly ever eat red meat and therefore their attention is actually probably less on iron and vitamin B than if they were classifying themselves as actual vegans or vegetarians. <coughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> and so often I find in those people um, that they tend to run on the lower side of iron and vitamin B um, especially if they have a heavy blood flow in their in their period as well. So do track that for some time. Do pay attention to that for some time and see if perhaps you need supplementation or even if you're just feeling like, oh, I'm feeling super low in energy. I feel like I'm not absorbing um, the micronutrients in my food that well, etc. It could be your iron. It could be your vitamin B. So do have that checked as well. And then... 
um, to, I guess, finish off the list of the most essential ones, I would also throw in zinc here, um, especially if you want to optimize testosterone levels or if you're someone who um, has a lot of stress to deal with, who gets sick very often, then zinc could be very helpful to help you deal with that stress. Zinc we can technically get through quite a bit of um, meat and uh, animal sources also or plant-based sources on top of that. But nonetheless, um, yeah, if you get sick often, this could be a good addition. I do want to finish off this list with a couple of other things that I personally have found helpful in the past for stress management. Um, the adaptogen ashwagandha, which has gained more traction in recent years. I have found that to be helpful, and I do think that the newer research that is emerging is showing that there is a positive effect of ashwagandha, that ashwagandha has on stress management. Then maca is another one which I personally have found has helped balance hormones. Um, so men and women can take maca in order to help their hormones, in order to help fertility as well. And you can take it throughout your entire cycle. It's not something that you just take in order to boost your progesterone or estrogen, etc. It just generally helps you balance out your hormones. So I would consider that also if you have cycle irregularities. Um, and then uh, if you are someone just getting into those more specific cases, if you are somebody who has issues with insulin resistance or PCOS, there are additional things that could be helpful to help you manage your blood sugar better. For instance, inositol or NAC, which is also an antioxidant. So just talk to your physician about additional supp supplements that you could be taking or that could be helpful. Or of course, your nutrition coach, if you are coaching with us, and um, if there are additional supplements that could perhaps be helping you manage your PCOS and endometriosis or just generally insulin resistance a little bit better. Gut health, of course, there are also certain things that could be beneficial for that. Um, L-glutamine, for example, I am a big fan of L-glutamine to help with gut health. Probiotics, on the other hand, I hear a lot, hear and read a lot of um, conflicting findings on that one. So it is hard to get a good quality one, which is not incredibly expensive. And then in many cases, when it comes to probiotics, so meaning you're adding good bacteria to your gut, it's not so much about the adding of those good bacteria, yes, sometimes if you have completely destroyed your gut microbiome, then yes. But otherwise, we also want to make sure we're nourishing them on a consistent basis. And that's where it often fails for a lot of people. You know, they add the probiotics and then they kind of die off again because these probiotics are not being fed with the right prebiotics. So I would much rather see you incorporate probiotic food on a daily basis, making sure you're increasing your fiber to get more prebiotics in there to feed those healthy bacteria. But yes, with L-glutamine, I have seen a lot of good quality evidence um, to support that this has positive effects on gut health as well. Now, then there are other supplements that could be helping your sleep if this is your main struggle, such as L-theanine, simply helping you uh, relax more, epigenin, GABA, for instance, which is a neurotransmitter. So lots of other avenues to go down to, but I don't even want to go too much into the little 
um, nitty gritty bits here, I think I just really wanted to give you those main takeaways that I think are going to be most beneficial. In my opinion, things that are not worth it would be pre-workout supplements, um, unless you're someone who's like really struggling with energy levels, but I would look into why that is. Um, I much more prefer, you know, just coffee as a pre-workout if you need that even. Um, uh, otherwise, BCAAs or EAAs, also not worth it in my opinion if you eat sufficient amount of um, protein. Unless you're training on an empty stomach, it could be a little bit helpful. Unless you are a vegan, could be a little bit helpful to have that in there also. But yes, aside from that, there. I mean, if you enjoy drinking some flavored water, which is quite expensive, then go for it. There's not going to be any harm from that, but it's certainly not necessary. Other sort of workout stimulating supplements, I don't necessarily think are going to be the big needle movers would be um l-arginine or l-citrulline etc i mean i yes there is some research there is research showing that they can be beneficial however again i think we should fit focus on the bigger ones first i'd probably suggest taking something like collagen or whatever before i'd go for l-arginine um just from a personal perspective but I want to leave you with some big recommendations aside from just those supplements, which were creatine monohydrate, omega-3, magnesium, vitamin D, and perhaps calcium or iron, vitamin B, and zinc. And my recommendation would be to try to get at least one to two servings of greens, ideally one of them being the leafy greens per day. Num number two of my recommendations would be to get a serving of cruciferous vegetables, Per day, making sure that your gut can tolerate that though. Not everybody is always going to be um, fine with cruciferous vegetables without having super bloating or ga being ga gassy. Number three, getting at least one serving of some sort of berries, ideally blueberries or raspberries for the fiber, but also for the antioxidant content. Number four, maybe getting a serving of citrus fruit or potatoes um citrus fruit and potatoes for the vitamin C if you have if you consume potatoes that also contains a good amount of potassium etc so that would be the next recommendation a serving of grains or um yeah of grains sorry <laughs> going through my list here so that could be oats that could be quinoa that could be um, you know, anything that you enjoy, farro, etc., um, for also for the fiber, but it also has lots of other um, micronutrients in there contributing to um, to what we want to see. A serving of lean dairy daily, um, again, for the calcium here, maybe one to two eggs per day, two to three times per week fatty fish, two to three times per week high quality, I really want to emphasize this here, high quality red meat, and then just overall focusing on eating seasonal, colorful, and that can even be through frozen food, through canned vegetables. Um, they are absolutely viable and sometimes even harvested fresher than the ones that you see in the, the than the quote-unquote fresh ones that you see in the store so do not shy away from that especially since they are so convenient at times so again that was a serving of green two servings of greens ideally one of them being leafy dark leafy greens a serving of cruciferous vegetables a serving of berries a servings a serving of citrus fruit or potatoes 
a serving of grains, serving of lean dairy, one to two eggs per day, two to three times per week fatty fish, two to three times per week red meat, high quality, and eating seasonal and colorful. So that sounds like a lot, but if you take that list into consideration, you can really build a nice quote-unquote food plan around it. Um, and it should be possible even on a lower carb diet um, or even on a diet where you want to see that you don't consume that, that, that much dairy, pro uh, not dairy, animal products. So I hope you found this helpful. If you have any questions or concerns about it, please let me know. Again, I want to state that I'm not a medical professional. However, my studies and my research has shown, has led me to this conclusion. If you have any recommendations or ideas for future topics that you'd like me to talk about, then please let me know. And I hope you have a wonderful day. Thank you for tuning in. If you enjoyed today's episode, don't forget to subscribe, leave a review, or share the episode on social. Very much appreciated. You can also follow us on Instagram at Nutrition Coaching and Life or head to our website, www.nutritioncoachingandlife.com where we provide more valuable content. Have a wonderful day. Now go out and work on your best self.